uh, verses 31 through 39 of Romans chapter 8. I recognize that this is the last uh, paragraph in this chapter, uh, but it is my intention, Lord willing, to have another uh, sermon, final sermon from Romans 8, even though this is the last paragraph. Uh, Today uh, will be the third sermon from Romans 8. So with our Bibles open, would you join me in prayer? Lord, thank you that it says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So this morning, we do not run from uh, weakness. Weakness is the way. Weakness is the way. Lord, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We, We don't even know that. But the Spirit, capital S, himself, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the intercession of Christ. Thank you for the interceding work of the Spirit. Thank you for your love, O God. Indeed, that you so love the world that you gave your one and only Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him even now. Help us, help us, O God, in these moments. Through the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Dear uh, saints, dear brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you with God's word this morning. Already encouraged by your vocal reception of God's word as Pastor Ray read it to us. If you're not a saint, if you're not in Christ, if you're not a Christian, I want to call you today. I want to call you today to become so, to become a Christian, to see the love of God in Christ and to see your sin and your desperate need for this Savior, not just a Savior, but this Savior. Well, did you notice what Pastor Ray read there for us in Romans 8, 31 through 39? Did you notice that? I, I think the answer is yes. I know you did. I know many of us know this passage, and without reading it all again, would you just glance at it, at least half of it again? Romans 8, 31. What then? Shall we say to these things, these things being Romans chapters 5 through 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine 
or nakedness or danger or sword. Pause. God really does love you, and he really does have a wonderful plan for your life. Now, yes, thoughtful Christians will hear that common phrase, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, and it will give thoughtful Christians pause because that phrase can be unhelpful as much as it is bantered about all the time these days. But for the believer, I am talking to you when I say this. My fellow Christian, God loves you, and yes, he does have a wonderful plan for your life. My sister in Christ, my brother in Christ, We are talking about this morning the eternal love of God. In fact, the title of the sermon this morning is this, No Separation from the Love of God Because of Jesus. No Separation from the Love of God Because of Jesus. If you are in Christ, then know this that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And what is his wonderful plan for your life? His wonderful plan for your life is to make you more like Christ. This is, in fact, what Romans 8 says. If you're a Christian, you have an older brother. I'm not talking about your proud, rule-the-roost older brother at home. Necessarily, I am talking about your older brother. We have an elder brother, Jesus Christ. And this is what God is doing in us, in his people. He is conforming us to the likeness of Christ. God wants you to persevere this morning. God wants us not to give up, not to throw in the towel. He wants us to stay the course And in wanting us to stay the course, he says, I love you. I love you. A Christian, by definition, is someone who is loved by God. I want you just to think very quickly about two people this morning. One would be a, a, a believer, we'll use the plural, believers in Afghanistan. Think about a true believers in the country of Afghanistan this morning And then glance again at that verse 35. Who shall separate us? Who? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Separate us from what? From the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword We think about the believers in Afghanistan. You could also look at verse 35 and think about the Apostle Paul. You may know that in the book of 2 Corinthians, you find uh, even a catalog of all of the sufferings that Paul went through. And so verse 35 is uh, maybe even a bit of autobiography. 
as Paul himself endured uh, nakedness and famine and hunger and want and persecution. And of course, it's Paul who writes this to the church at Rome. Make sure we get that question right. Who shall separate? No, no. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No separation from the love of God because of Jesus. Now, here's what I want to do. Two general headings, okay? Two general headings. There's two ways this morning, or at least as I'm uh, saying this morning, there's two ways for you to get to Romans 8, 31 through 39. Uh, that's our text. It's, uh, it's, it's majestic. It's poetic. It's beautiful. Uh, verses 31 through 39, it, it's, it's lofty. And there are two ways, at least this morning, that you can get there. Now, you can get to Wilson by going 795, and many of us are grateful for that, for uh, all these modern roads. You can get to Wilson by going 795, and most do. You can also get to Wilson by going the way that you always went. I only moved here in 2010, so I'm I was always cruising 795, going to our mother church up in Wilson that planted us. But you can go still the way that you had to go before 795. There are what you might call back roads or the side roads. So I guess you could take the highway and just go right into these verses, but just, just for a few minutes at least, Two, two ways that you can get to verses 31 through 39, you see? And the first way is Romans 9. The first way is Romans 9, so you don't have to turn very far. I am going to ask you if, you, if you can, to turn with me more in just a moment. But the first way that you can get to our text today, and that is what I want to do, I want to get into our text today, is by Romans 9. Romans 9, verse 6. Would you look there with me? But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, Paul's there for just a second. Now, some people would say that in the matter of salvation, some people would say that God chooses who is saved. You've heard this, probably. Some people would say that God chooses who is saved. And probably those same people would say that one of the clearest places in all of the Bible that they would point, even as they might also point to other passages, they would say maybe the clearest and this idea and this belief would be Romans chapter 9. 
uh, this idea of election. Verse 11, again, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, verse 12, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. I hope you're trekking with uh, Paul there in Romans 9. Uh, Verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Wait a minute, Paul. Verse 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. Well, we'll table that for just a minute. Let me just say now, regardless of what side you take on there, Romans chapter 9 deals with the issues of reprobation, and it certainly deals with the issue of election. Okay, so Romans 9, election, that's one way, that's one road that you can take to get into our text today. Now, all of this is not mere setup. All of this is not mere introduction. This is important because we're going to see these things in Romans chapter 8. So if you would, if you can listen, but you can also, I'd love for you to take a quick Old Testament journey with me. We need to see that the second road that leads to the last paragraph of Romans 8 is the Old Testament. So quickly, pay careful attention beginning in Genesis 22. Genesis chapter 22. And as I sometimes say on Wednesday nights, as we sometimes say, you know, just just, just look at the word of God. I know I've had time to soak in it and to prepare to to preach this morning, but just, just look carefully. Just notice what it says, that's all. Just see what it says in verse 16 of Genesis chapter 22. Start actually at 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, 
because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring. Because Abraham did what in verse 16? Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. Genesis twenty-two sixteen. Here's the key passage is Psalm 44. The key passage is Psalm 44. Verse 22. Psalm 44, verse 22. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Back up at verse 11. You have made us like sheep for the slaughter. So 22 is the key verse. For your sake, we are killed all the day long. Uh, one more, and that's Isaiah 50. Isaiah 50, verses 8 and 9. So you just turn to the right a, a little bit. Turn to the right, not a ton. Isaiah chapter 50. Verses 8 and 9. And when you see what's going on here, this is beautiful. He who vindicates me is near, Isaiah 50, verse 8. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Romans 8, 31 through 39. Hope you held your place there. Romans 8, 31 through 39. There are, what have we said? So if there's two roads, two ways you can get to Wilson, two ways that I say this morning you can get to Romans 8, 31 through 39. It's, it's poetic. It's majestic. It's like Doug Moo says, Romans 8, 31 through 39 is actually not a passage that you are supposed to go and do a word study on every single word and say, the way we're gonna know what this means in its original context, and the way that we know what it means for us, let's go get our concordance and do a word study on every word and find out what, all, what, is, what does nakedness mean in verse 35 and what is condemnation, what does that mean? No, this is poetic language. This is majestic. You and I are meant to feel the force of this lofty mountain peak of God's word. You are meant to feel the force now, I'm also going to speak about how it's not all about our feelings. Our feelings must be rooted in the truth of God. But God wants us to have both. God wants us to have the experience of his truth. We are meant to let this passage cascade over us like so many waves coming to the shore from the ocean. Boom, boom, boom. And so we see, as I hope we have in our minds... And as we're not going to spend forever on this passage today, because this is part of this is sermon is the whole Bible, as you've already seen. Road number one, Romans 9. Road number two, the Old Testament, especially Psalm 54. Now just look at it again, and maybe some of these bells will go off. 
What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, well, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let's take quickly those two things in turn. If one road into this passage is Romans 9, why Romans 9? Why Romans 9? Well, uh, we actually, we speak about the members or certainly the elders, we actually, I know I, I, I didn't just come right out earlier, but, but we teach that, that God chooses some for salvation. That's what we teach. And, and we would teach that Romans 9, although you have Ephesians chapter 1, and although you have John chapter 6, John 6, you, you have Romans 9, we would say, I would say, is probably the clearest passage in the Bible. I don't say that it's easy, but it's clear, it's clear about this doctrine of election. God makes Christians. God makes Christians. God chooses who is saved, and he passes over others. Do you see? He passes over others. So you have uh, Ephesians 1, you have John 6, you have Romans 9, probably number 1, and you have Romans 8. You have Romans 8. And not to be facetious and not to be funny, but you have the whole Bible. You, you have the whole Bible. So let me quickly make a connection here, okay? Romans 9, 6 through 29 is talking about election. And, and we teach that although there are different interpretations of this passage, we teach that the face value clear interpretation of this text is that God chooses who will be saved. As he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And like Pharaoh, he hardens those who persist in unbelief. And so Romans 9, 6 through 29 has to do with the doctrine of election. But you know, that's not even the main point, by the way, of Romans 9. The main point is that not all Israel is Israel. Not all Israel is Israel. And so therefore, the main point is this. The word of God never fails. The word of God never fails. You want to look at somebody, and I want to speak reverently as I say this. You want to look at somebody who is a picture of seeming failure as a leader and as a preacher and as a teacher, a picture of seeming failure, Jesus, John chapter six. Don't look at it now. Go home and look at it. John, you want to see a picture of seeming failure? You know, hey, there's this, uh, there's this guy. We got to go to this conference. Man, he's a good speaker. Boy, he can, he can light it up or whatever. I don't know, you know, but like, you know, you talk about a bit of a failure, the way we define success, the way we define success, there's a failure of leadership, a failure of preaching, a failure of teaching. I say reverently, John chapter six, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in John chapter six, he speaks about how a true believer will never lose his or her salvation because he's the one who calls and because God is the one who saves. The word of God, listen, when it seems like in your life, in your family, in this church, 
when it seems like, what is going on? And the quintessential number one example of this is Israel. The number one example is Israel. Has the word of God failed? No, the word of God never fails. Proof, the doctrine of election. Romans 8, 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Another translation of that would be against those whom God has chosen. Who shall bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? He's the one who chose them, right? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Verse 30, look at verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Verse 29, well, verse 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together. All things work together for good. That's not true. All things work together for good. That's not true. Many people will die and go to hell. All things work together for good? Spending eternity in hell? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, his purpose called. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Do you see? I am not uh, simply bringing up Romans 9, just to bring up Romans 9. You see how it goes with Romans 8. Specifically, verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? What do you mean by that, Paul? Could you explain that more? Sure, Romans 9. Second uh, road that you can take, and maybe this is 795, and that is Psalm 44. And those three Old Testament, total Old Testament texts that we looked at. Psalm 44, we say, because in verse 36, if you look at verse 36 of Romans chapter 8, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You remember that I mentioned to you that in verse 35, this is a, it can be taken as autobiographical. This is Paul if you look at the catalog in 2 Corinthians of what happened to him in his life. You remember in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, you, you want to play a boasting game? I mean, I'll boast with you. Let me boast about what's happened to me in my life. How big a boy are you? He says in verse 35, almost autobiographically, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Uh, danger and sword, you think particularly about those in the region, not only within the confines of the country of Afghanistan, but in the greater region, true believers, some American, many, many, many not. Danger and sword. The love of God is so amazing Because it comes to us in our suffering, and the true believer knows in his suffering 
that there is nothing more real than the love of God, even as he, even as she knows that this suffering I'm going through is also very real. God's word never fails. God's love for his people never fails. Not only can, not, not only can you never lose your salvation if you're a true believer, but the hounds of heaven will pursue you all the days. His love and mercy. God has saved you. God has called you. God has justified you. What can man do to you? Nothing can separate you from the love of God because of Jesus. You might remember that passage that we read in Isaiah chapter 50. It's very similar to this language. Who's going to rise up against me? Where's my adversary? Who will contend with me? But I know that I will be vindicated. Here's the deal. In Isaiah chapter 50, that's the servant speaking. Isaiah 50 is the servant, or you might know him as the suffering servant, or you might know him as Jesus. And here's the truth of this passage and of Isaiah chapter 50 is that Jesus knew, Jesus knew that he would be vindicated. Jesus knew that he would get an announcement, a pronouncement of not guilty, but innocent. And so everybody who's with Jesus, everybody who's followed Jesus, likewise can have the confidence, even in the midst of suffering, that we too will be vindicated. If Jesus was vindicated, we, the people of Jesus, will be vindicated. It's beautiful. Isaiah chapter 50, the suffering servants, who's to condemn? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Listen, God sacrificed his son for us even as Isaac was spared. In Genesis chapter 2, Abraham showed his love for God by his obedience even to the point of sacrificing his son. Say it again. In Genesis 22, Abraham showed his love for God by his obedience, even to the point of killing his own son, if that would have been necessary. God, in the gospel, God shows his love for us in his willingness to send his son who was obedient, even to the point of death. The key, the key thing here is that God did not spare his own son and Jesus did die in our place. Jesus Christ, the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 50, who was vindicated because of his resurrection, God's stamp of approval, Jesus willingly, listen to me, he willingly and gladly went to the cross for you. He willingly and gladly went to the cross for you if you will repent and believe, if you're, if you're a believer. And God shows us his love. This is how God shows us his love. He gave his one and only son. He did, this is the key word. He did not spare. He did not spare his one and his only son. So Christopher Ashe says this, based on the logic of verse 32. For God to give up Jesus to death and then abandon us on the roadside on the way to glory would be like a rich man who spent a vast amount on a car 
and then leaving it on the roadside said he couldn't afford the gas to run it. It would be absurd if a rich man spent a large amount of money on a Rolls Royce, left it by the side of the road. I don't want to bother. I don't, I don't have the money. You don't have the money to buy the gas to keep the car going? The logic of verse 32 is from the greater to the lesser. If he did not spare his own son for you, for believers, for us, one thing that you see in this passage over and over again is for us. Verse 31, look, look there. Who can be against us? Verse 32, gave him up for us all. How will he not graciously give us all things? Verse 34, who is interceding for us? Us, 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 us. Who's us? Believers, believers. What's another way to say believers? The elect. If God from eternity past purposed to set his love upon the people, upon the church of Jesus Christ, then there is no, no, not anything that could ever separate us from the love of God. He'll put, he'll put gas in the car. If he sent his own son to die on the cross, will he not give you everything that is needful for you to make it to glory? Will he not? There's two roads here. One road is Romans 9. One road is by way of the Old Testament with Psalm 44 at the center, Genesis 22, and Isaiah 50. By the way, go meditate on Psalm 50, 44. Psalm 44 is God's people saying, you have given us victory. It's like I think about our, our Seymour, Seymour Johnson personnel. God, you've given us victory. Not an exact parallel, but those brothers that I've talked to over the years, think of David Tubal and others who've even brought specific psalms like this to mind. And then in Psalm 44, the psalmist says, and now we are embarrassed. We're embarrassed and we're facing defeat and we are practically losers. Our enemies, our enemies are winning the day over us. And here's the kicker. In Psalm 44, the people of God are not sinning. They are being faithful. They're faithful to the covenant. They're faithful to God. What does that teach us? It teaches us that in all times, New Testament and Old Testament, God, listen to me, God has appointed suffering for his people. If he has not spared his own son, will he spare anything else to get you to glory? And even if we think, why is it going this way? Why does it have to be this way from the cross to glory? Why does it have to be filled with much trouble? Well, couldn't Jesus have said the same thing? Couldn't he have said, why this way? And in a sense, he said, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Psalm 44, quoted in verse 36 here, tells us that God loves us and that he brings suffering in our lives. Can I summarize a few quick points as we draw this to a close? Really, really quickly, four things. God loves his people, so he often allows very hard things to come into our lives. And if you say, yeah, when you use the word allow, aren't you basically implying that God ordains it? Yes, yes. God loves his people, so he often allows very hard things to come into our lives. That's verse 36. 
That's Psalm 44. Number two, not just God loves his people, God loves us. Christ died for us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. God loves us, his elect people, believers, not because of anything, not because of anything in us, and certainly not by works. Somebody has said, when you take Jacob and Esau, the issue there is not, why didn't God choose Esau? It's, why did God choose Jacob? (laughs) It's not in us. God loves us, his elect people. Praise God. We are chosen in Jesus Christ. You know that everything's in Christ. You're not chosen. You're chosen in Christ. He's the beloved one. Are you in Christ? Have you repented of your sins? Number three, God loves us, so he sent Jesus to live, die, live, ascend, and pray for us. If this isn't the center of everything, then I don't know what is. Verse 34, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. Satan, you come into this courtroom, God says. You bring these charges and all the charges are true. Have you seen my son? Have you seen his nail-pierced hands? Who is to condemn? There is no condemnation. All accusations are false, not because they're false, but because the Lord Jesus Christ died, was raised, He's at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us. Those four things, those four things are precious. Jesus Christ is precious. He is precious. Charles Spurgeon's first ever sermon when he was 16, Jesus Christ is precious to believers. That's the center, verse 34. That's the center, four things, four things. Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his present intercession. Jesus prays for you. Jesus prays for you. And finally, God loves us and we will never, ever, ever lose our salvation. You can't lose your salvation if you're a true believer, if God's the one who saved you in the first place. Now, God not only called you, but he purposed to save you. He set his love upon you in eternity past. He said, you're mine in Jesus Christ. Are you saved? Answer that question in your mind. Even now, are you saved? Are you enjoying your salvation, the assurance of your salvation? Are you living in victory? I don't mean that in a weird way, certainly not a health and wealth prosperity way, but are you living in victory? We are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. If it were dependent upon us, then we would separate ourselves like every day. It's not dependent upon us, dependent upon God. It's the love of God, not the love of the believer. Every believer loves God. But the issue is God loves the believer. God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. You may not understand it, but his plan for you is to make you like your elder brother. Praise God. God, and be free from yourself this week. Be free from yourself and read Romans 9 and 8 and these other passages and worship the God who is the potter and the potter has the freedom. Let's pray together.
Lord, help us to receive your word with our minds. May we be transformed. May we not ask ourselves or goof around by saying, are we part of the elect or not? And since I can't know, I'm not going to worry about coming to Christ. But may we look outside of ourselves and look to Jesus. May we look to the cross. May we see your love there displayed for us. Thank you, O oh God for your plan to save us, for Christ's death on the cross that secured the salvation of your people, for the Holy Spirit who himself intercedes for us, who called us. We praise you. Thank you for Romans chapter 8. In Jesus' name, amen.